Women make up nearly 50% of all gamers, yet only a small percentage of women play esports professionally. It's time we figure out how to change that. The Knights want to empower women to build their esports empire. Along with our partner PNC Bank, we are adamant about creating a more equitable future for gamers. There is no one-size-fits-all solution, so we'll be tackling the issue from all angles, featuring insights from a variety of subject matter experts and professionals. I'm Kat DeShields-Moon with the Knights. Welcome to the Women in Esports podcast. Hello, and welcome back to the Women in Esports podcast presented by the Pittsburgh Knights and PNC. So happy to have you back with us. Uh, we are in for an excellent episode today. Like, I know every time I kick off this podcast, I'm like, I'm talking to my favorite person, but it's this is literally one of my favorite people in the entire industry. I cannot wait for you to meet her. Uh, but in the meantime, if you haven't already, be sure to go back and check out episode four with James O'Hagan. He's the vice president of education in a innovation at League Spot and host of the Academy of Esports podcast. We talked about how K through 12 organizations can make the most of a budding or an existing esports program, or if you want to start one, uh, some of the things that you should keep in mind when doing so. Um, it's all about building the pipeline, an accessible and equitable pipeline that allows anybody and everybody to experience what esports has to offer. But before we jump into this episode, just some quick housekeeping. Um, as always, please share your comments on social media and on the comments on YouTube. We really want to know what you're most interested in learning about when it comes to women in esports, where are your problem areas, what are your success stories, what topics or cool people would you like to see spotlighted. We keep an eye on all of that and we take it into consideration when we're producing future episodes. So please, please take a minute to share. It's much appreciated. But now I have the distinct pleasure of introducing you to Carmen Dement. She is the talent acquisition guru at Shell Games and is also a really awesome industry DEI advocate. Um, I've met so many awesome people on this show, but she is definitely one of my favorite movers and shakers in the industry. And she's been advocating for women in gaming long before it was popular or even a real uh, topic of conversation, you know, and she has so many great connections in the industry. So super excited to have her here. I'm going to shut up so you can hear some of this wisdom that she's about to drop. Carmen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Kat, for that amazing intro. I mean, I might have to pay you for any speaking engagements that should come up in the future because that was awesome. I must say <laughs> I'm flattered. Thank you so much. Maybe a little blushing. Uh, appreciate you asking me to be on the show and excited to talk about esports and DEI. Yes, absolutely. And I will be your hype woman anytime, like, no charge. <laughs> you just let me know. Get on that stage and be like, no announcer, hey, Carpet. <laughs> you get some good intro right. music. Yeah. Right? Exactly. <laughs> some, like, you know, like sparkly things. I <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I can do it at that level, but you know, thank you. <laughs> but, oh my gosh, we have such a great lineup uh, tonight. I definitely want to get through all of the questions. Um, and I'm sure those will be some more questions that pop up just because this conversation is so important. It's something that people are trying to figure out or trying to get right. Um, you know, and it's something that the gaming and esports uh, industry really needs, you know, um, 
as we all know, like some professional companies, organizations, so on and so forth, don't reflect the diverse fabric that is the gaming community. You know, so there's a lot of work that needs to happen to, to catch that up. But I'm getting ahead of myself because I did not start with my favorite question. And those that have tuned in know what my favorite question is. What brought you into the gaming industry? So being a lifelong gamer, like most of us who are in this industry, um, I'm old enough to know about the Intellivision, Atari days, uh, back when you had the, jo the joystick and your thumb hurt because you were smashing the thing so hard. Um, I fell in love with gaming as an escape, right? Um, like most of us, uh, a different story that I could rewrite or I could be a part of. Um, whether that genre was fantasy, whether it was um, just true escapism, um, and being a true lover of books and movies, it was an easy transition to make into video games and having that format to be able to, like I said, escape, especially as a, a young, younger female um, in a world that was dominated by either the pink aisle or the blue aisle, and you knew which aisle was yours, and especially in the generation of your parents made sure that you went down the pink aisle and you only got to go down the blue aisle if you had a sibling or a cousin or someone who was shopping because you weren't getting anything down that aisle because those toys were for boys, right? Mm -hmm. um, so it made it uh, almost like a true equalizer that you could play games that were appropriate for everyone before E, before everyone came out, right? Because Centipede wasn't a gender game. It was a game that you could play, right? Pac-Man or whatever those games were back in the day that most of you may not know, just look it up on Google, um, were different types of games that we all could play. It wasn't about um, your character or your gender or even your ability to play. It was fun. Um, mm -hmm. Then my daughter got old enough to realize what gaming was, being in a gaming household, um, around the age of eight, I would say, um, definitely before preteen, she came and asked, um, hey, so since you guys do this, play games, why can't I play games, especially playing games on the internet back when, um, mm -hmm. you know, you could play with other people across the land and um, co-op games. And of course, as a parent of an eight-year-old who definitely has had thought processes about my child being on the internet um, and internet safety, I was like, oh man, I'm so screwed. <laughs> what do I say? You know, what, what, what can I hurry up and think of? Because as an intelligent child, um, something that she can play that maybe I would be okay with. And the first thing I thought of was Minecraft, right? I said, all right, your friends play Minecraft. You play Minecraft by yourself. But if you can whitelist your server, um, you know, and your IP, make a server that's locked for your friends, I will let you play Minecraft with your friends. And <laughs> within an hour, she was on YouTube and figured it all out, did everything I asked and came back and said, I'm done. Can I invite my friends now? And I was wow. like, well, I, yes, you can, ma'am. After I, you know, checked out her security and everything. And that was it. Um, from there, I knew I had to feed the beast that was my child who was inquisitive and wanted to learn. And while she had the interest in technology, help her grow and think of this as only a learning experience um, while she was having fun. Um, and getting into that, looking around in my local area, I was hard pressed to find anything that was relatable for her to be in any type of 
game development, let alone technology, um, programming, coding. Um, and again, this is 2010. So back before a lot of these nonprofits were available and around, um, there was nothing. And I was shocked. I, I was truly shocked at there's no resource. There's lots of resources for girls to be able to do other things, Girl Scouts, um, Girls on the Run. Now, my child is mm -hmm. not sports enthusiast. She's a math major, books, science. There was no volleyball, no softball, none of that stuff. It was not happening. Um, so doing what most parents do and being resourceful, I was like, I guess I'll have to do this for myself. Um, and I was up for the challenge because as a parent trying to find something that interests your child in a genuine way, you know, you will go through leaps, bounds and hurdles to make it happen. So I started making calls. I started looking at um, who was making the games that I enjoyed at the time, who, what games were available for her to play now? What are the things that I need to know and educate myself um, as a parent that if I'm going to step into this realm, make sure I knew what I was talking about? Um, so I decided to start forming groups with other parents locally to be able to see what their kids were interested. And if they were interested in the same thing my child was, why not make a little club, right? Prove a concept, start local, start small and see where you can grow from there and look for your allies in the community mm -hmm. that will be able to support you and then see what happens. You'll, you'll flourish, I'm sure. And that's what happened with me. It started with a small group. Then it went from a small local group to a bigger national group um, and making community online with um, items such as Twitch, which was Justin TV at the time, um, and being able to talk about the things that I was interested in and looking for other people, my people, my community, to help me do that. I was able to formulate relationships with others and other women in the industry who were in the same boat, which gave me the huge idea of man, let's, let's have this conversation in real time. And I'm sure there's other people that want to jump in like we're doing now. And where's the best place to do that? And at the time, Justin TV, which was Twitch. So <laughs> what did I do? I produced a online talk show, bringing in other people in the industry that were like me, but had different life experiences, different perspectives to have frank conversations about what's going on in our industry how we are um, expressing ourselves and why, what are the true questions that we really want to know from a feedback perspective that wasn't sponsored or promoted or marketed by mm. anyone else, um, which gave us license to have frank conversations. And then I was able to grow that into a nonprofit, um, which primarily focused on working with younger at-risk youth who did not have opportunity to be able to maybe go to college or think about technology in the way that most of us take for granted as a career and support them and getting them there from A to Z, which meant K through 12 and then post-secondary if we were supporting them beyond that graduation. Um, and it was a privilege to be able to open up doors for others in the BIPOC community that were interested in talent and now esports, um, because back then it wasn't a competitive thing like it is now, especially at the collegiate level. 
um, mm-hmm. and connect them to their mentors or people that were willing to give them a shot at a career um, and even entry level position. Yeah. And I mean, talk about opening doors. That's what you do in in human resources. So <laughs> what got you, what led you down? I mean, most, when most people think about, I correct me if I'm wrong, previously human DEI always kind of fell under the human resources umbrella. And now it's kind of evolving into this new thing where you have like a DEI officer, you know, or something like correct. that on staff. Yeah. Um, but we'll, I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll, we'll get to that later, but I do want to know how, like, what led you to, uh, get involved with human resources? Was it the desire to open the door to other people or? Yes. I think it's a combination of opening the door for other people, but also being able to have a really strong sense of the value of other story and listening to that and really hearing them enabled me to be able to work in human resources. And when you say human resources, the word human is in there for a reason. Um, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so I can be my authentic, true self and still work that human resource or HR role and have the empathy for the people that I work with and for, which makes a great human resource employee. It's, it's something that cannot be taught um, as much as people try. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's like anything else like nursing, or if you're a first responder, you really have to have a calling for that type of role because it is not easy. It is very difficult at times because you have to make decisions and decisions that are putting other people first, as well as being able to handle a stress-related job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of hats that go into it. I think it was somewhere on the internet. It was like, if you're in human resources, specifically talent acquisition, then you're one part like resourcer, you're one part psychiatrist, you're one part psychic, you know, making projections about how this person's going to fit or not. <laughs> and there was a couple other things that I'm like, whoo, that's a lot of hats. <laughs> you really have to, to be with. a multitasker, I will say. Um, <laughs> and depending on the company that you work for, there's different types of human resource, like we said, you know, there's a person that is specialized in DEI and that's becoming its own role because companies need to have someone to focus specifically on that and not split their mm-hmm. focus because it is so important and it is um, should be a cornerstone of most companies. If it's not, then you guys need to go back to the drawing board and look at what you're doing now to iterate that process. Just my opinion. All opinions are my own. Just want to put that disclaimer <laughs> well, I co-sign with almost every opinion that's ever come out of your mouth. So <laughs> much appreciated, much appreciated. I mean, I, I will say that having good mentors to be able to help you contemplate and take the time that's needed to think about what you really want to do as a career is also something that I would say that I was privileged in having uh, regarding myself and making a pivot in the latter portion of my career because I come from corporate strategy consultant um, previous to actually formally working in the games industry. Now, I've taken that strategic consultant business, rolled it into the nonprofit. So basically the consultant business was the business that I made my living to be able to 
feed the nonprofit. Because as you know, in this world, if you've ever owned, run, or worked for a nonprofit, they bootstrap quite a bit. So my thought process is, wow, my family's going to kill me if I just take family funds and put in a nonprofit, but this is my baby. I really wanted to run. I ran it for, I don't even know how many years, 2010 to 2020, 21. Um, but I had to be able to support it. And I didn't want to ask for handouts from people that I were wanted to help people not ask for a hand out. A hand up is what I wanted to do. So, and also if you look at our political climate at the time, there was little to no funds in regards to government funding when it comes to certain nonprofits. So for me, having people like Kate Edwards, Megan Geyser, Marla Roche, and Sherry Gardner-Ray, which to me are the found, some of the founding mothers of our industry, take me under their wing and allow me to have frank conversations with them and get the knowledge and share their knowledge with me over the lifetime of what they've learned in the industry and just be able to listen, let alone say, hey, but I don't get that, or could you expound on that, was amazing. And they're still, to this day, my mentors, and I can call or I can email at any given time and say, hey, here's the thing that I'm working on. What do you think? Here's the problem I'm having, and or I really want to make an impact here. This is this great thing that I'm doing. Do you want to be a part of it? And again, having those people show me how to be a mentor allowed me to be the an, an epic mentor, even if I toot my own horn, to others because I knew what it felt like to feel that satisfaction of making change and being part of change with somebody who genuinely cared about you as a person and the industry overall. Yeah, no, mentorship is so, so important. It can make a world of difference. You know, just having somebody to bounce ideas off, to, to kind of gut check or just so, you know, like, hey, you know, you can do this. Like, don't sell yourself short. Go get it, you know, so. Or to tell you when yes. you can't. <laughs> that is also <laughs> true. Well. Like, yes, be wary of anybody that's like, yeah, you can do that. Yeah, you can do that too. Yeah, you can do that as well. You can do anything. Do anything you put your mind to. <laughs> Doesn't mean you can't. It just means you have to be smart about it. Right. So one of the, like, you tapped on so many things, and I would love to start with uh, Ladies of the Round Table. Um, I, gosh, I watched some episodes. This was ten, 10 years ago. You were doing stuff that people are just now starting to do, like in terms of a consistent podcast with a regular production schedule, bringing in subject matter experts, um, and having real open conversations around important topics, but also just really chill ones around like, hey, this is the stuff that we like and we're engaging with. Um, so you founded, like, when did you start Ladies of the Roundtable? And can you tell us more about what that was and what it did for you? So it was a brainchild of a conversation that we were having offline Um as women and women who are in the industry and or women who aspire to be in the industry and women from all walks of life, um, gender, creed, and otherwise. And I thought, man, I think this is, this is awesome. I wonder if I can talk other people into being on camera because back then you didn't do that either, especially as a female, right? On the internet, you didn't want to have your face all over the internet so people can talk about either what you look like or what your hair was or wasn't doing, um, how you pronounce something and or 
just generally uh, add comments or find you on social media, which was another thing about, you know, being on one platform means they're going to find you somewhere else. And I was able to find a, a group of ladies that were in the industry or coming up into the industry and different perspectives of that. So maybe someone from marketing, someone who had been looking to get in the industry for the last six or seven years and had every door slammed in their face, but they're still trying, which is an interesting perspective. Uh, Mm. Somebody who worked at um, a big known uh, retail retailer like GameStop, who had a spouse who was a celebrity in the industry, but they weren't. And they were aspiring to do maybe something else as an artist. at times, we had uh, people from various representation classes, someone who was uh, transgendered who was on the show, someone who was just 19 on the show and was streaming and starting their streaming career, but on the rise quite quickly um, was able to come in. And the way I describe the show is it was kind of like the talk and the view smashed together because you had the production level of the talk, which... All the producing was done on the back end by me. Um, Show sourcing was done by me. The sound was done by me for the longest time. And then I had the show notes done by me and the girls would help with that. But then also um, running the Twitch. So everything was a one woman show. Um, And thank Mm -hmm. gosh, most of the time you couldn't tell on the back end. It was just (laughs) until I got later in the years, got some support from others, um, but still was a skeleton crew because we were volunteer. Um, and it was an amazing experience to be able to talk about hot button topics without having someone edit you, right? Um, and it was a lot of very off the cuff conversation. Um, and if you go back to watch, guys, let me just forewarn you, um, not safe for work and you want to use headphones if you've got kids in the house because sometimes there's a little language because we get excited um, as we do talking about these types of things. Um, and we were able to discuss um, the budding esports community at the time, um, working on various topics um, in the industry and having both male and female thought leaders and people in the industry who are leading whatever topic it was to come on and have conversations um, and do it as a volunteer basis, which still amazes me to this day, um, because a lot of people are paid to do these types of things and these types of uh, appearances, but they were interested in the topics. And the key for us was the topic. What are we talking about this week? And again, it was a week to week show. So that was amazing too. Um, and we talked about DEI culture, um, technology from perspective of as a user, a consumer versus mass market and commercial wear. Um, we talked about things like, um, gosh, cosplay before it was huge and exploded. Um, and then we also were able to just frankly talk to the audience because with Twitch, you have that back and forth and that direct communication and live feed. Um, and establish a whole other way of communicating with a base of people who knew what we were. We were ladies, and the reason why I used that title was I wanted not to, for people not to be scared of, this is a show with all women, right? Take it or leave <laughs> it. This is what's going to happen. Come as you are. Watch or don't watch. No, that's fantastic. I love it. 
And then you also mentioned that you started a media group and a scholarship. So can you tell us more about both of those? Sure. Um, again, the media group was established out of necessity for funding for the nonprofit. As mm -hmm. I was able to um, use my crossover skills uh, or transferable skills from my corporate experience in strategic planning and development for companies, um, building teams, advising teams, uh, companies on a pivot, um, and this is C-level uh, companies. So for those of you who don't know what C-level means, it's corporate level companies. So we're looking about talking to the VPs or VPs bringing me in to be able to consult on something they want to do or for me to build out the task that they want to do, meaning from, from scratch to staffing um, and give them a timeline. So that allowed me the luxury of picking those clients that I wanted to work with, making sure those contracts were appropriate enough for me to be able to utilize the funds to be able to put into the nonprofit. And the nonprofit itself was established again to be able to support primarily young girls in getting as a, a pipeline to tech, basically. So mm -hmm. science, technology, engineering, art, and math. And we put A for art because without art, you cannot have science. And without science, you cannot have art. And everything in this world takes some kind of steam. Uh, we had programs such as textiles, which was not T-E-C-H, but it was tech as in fiber and fabric mm. and technology because it was fashion driven. So we worked with fashion houses to be able to take the children that, and, and could be boys or girls, that had no interest in true technology from a standpoint of hardware or software, because not everybody can do that, and have them work with textiles, um, companies like Nike, so how to make a shoe and what it takes to make a shoe, right? All the things that mm. take to source the fabric to dye the fabric if they're doing that, where the leather comes from, how they make the laces so strong, how the technology put that little plastic cap on the end of that lace, what's that take? You know, all those <laughs> positions and all those things, right, are ways that potentially could spark a child's mind into a whole nother career of maybe engineering or, you know, again, some form of art. It could be 3D, it could be whatever it is, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's gotta be math if you hate math. Allowing each child to what I call fail gracefully was something that mm. I wanted to establish with the nonprofit right up front because I, as a kid, hated math, still as an adult, hate math, it is not my thing. Calculators were made for people like me. Funny fact, my child loves math. It's her number one choice of study. <laughs> she was graduate math major but not for me. But knowing that about myself as a young child and what I struggled through as a kid in school, because that's the one subject or maybe two subjects as a parent that your parents will not let you fail at no matter what happens. There was no bringing an F home in a math class. I could get a C, but there was no F, right? Um, it was just difficult. So how can I make it so kids want to have fun, but also think of it in a different way? was some of those types of programs. We did things with the children that had to do with chemistry um, and we mm. used baking. So, because little did you know, when you're adding all these components to make your cake, it's a chemical reaction, right? We take that for granted. Kids, on the other hand, if you can walk them step-by-step step through something like that, 
and show them not just the volcano that explodes on your science day project, but you can actually (laughs) eat what you made. And it was a whole science experiment. Mind's blown. And they love it. They love it. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, no. Baking is chemistry. And I think that's why I'm so terrible at it. I don't know how I managed to mess up a box of like box brownies where it has the instructions and everything you need. And you just add water and put in a pan and stuff. Still managed to mess that up. So obviously. (laughs) I'm not great at it either. I'm not great at it either. Um, And I I love the fact that back in 2013, I may add that uh, I was privileged enough to get sponsored by our sponsor partner by Twitch. Um, because we had such a great audience. We had so many loyal followers that were there week after week for an hour or more. Um, Congruent, solid, firm audience. um, And that partnership money went right back into that scholarship fund. So for those of you who were around during those days and you were able to donate or you were able to support our charity drives and also some of the nonprofits that we supported, I say thank you. Um, once again, for hanging with us and making sure that so many children were able to not feel so alone um, in this world of a technology age. No, that's beautiful. I love that. And speaking of like people not feeling alone and then the way that you branched out to meet a need, you know, and you met the kids where they were and, and got down in the sand pit with them and figured out what made their eyes light up. Like that's exactly what a good DE and I program does. In my opinion, it's not sitting up on some lofty tower and being like, come on in the water's fine. No, you need to get your butt out the castle and go down to where the people are. Um, so I want to dive into that for just a second. In your experience, what are the signs of a thriving DE&I program? And then we're going to do a deep dive into what organizations, be it esports, um, a community organization, a game development studio, whatever, or, or even your own company that has nothing to do with gaming or esports, because this is gold and it's so important. But yes, what, is, what are some signs of a thriving DEI program? So for me personally, I think that a thriving DEI, I say DEIB, so diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, um, you should have- I love that. (laughs) Thank you. I didn't make it up. So I love it too. So I'm going to use it. But your goals and initiatives, there have to be both. Um, Those programs need to be also scalable to be able to grow with the organization and also measurable to allow you to iterate and change and see where you are lacking or where maybe you are not utilizing funds or programs or process effectively um, to know what you're doing. And I think one of the things I will say is so important is all companies should have some sort of program. Doing nothing Mm -hmm. is just not acceptable in today's day and age and also being scared of what could or would happen hinders a lot of companies from having great programs. That's That to be said, um, let's say you are trying to develop something and as a company usually does because they want to protect themselves, right? There are lawsuits that happen and things that happen. They will look at it from a perspective of a negative first. If we do this, this bad thing could happen, this bad thing could happen, this other thing could happen. So how do we head off all of those? But in Mm -hmm. in my opinion, it should be the reverse. It should be, here's the process. Here's what we want to happen and why. 
and here's how we'd like to set it up, and then take a look at those other things that you could take away the blockers because you're cutting your nose off to spite your face if you're starting with all the negative because that takes out so many things that are great out of the equation. That is true. That is so true. I guess, you know, being afraid to do it because you're afraid of getting something wrong. A lot of companies face that. So what should, um, let's say, despite best intentions, a company gets it wrong. Like, what do you do then? Do you never touch D, I, and B again? Or how do you, what is the right way, the authentic way to course correct in a situation like that? I think a lot of companies have that answer um, built into their process and their systems, right? Transparency. Mm. It's the number one word that I would say for any type of, I mean, almost anything. You can apply it to anything. But in this case, if you get something wrong, being transparent about it and being able to admit, I mean, we're taught that at a young age. You don't tell That's a lie. True. You admit when you're wrong and then you work the situation and do it better next time. It's just simple. It's almost, uh, you know, idiotically simple if you think about it. Now, it's not that simple for a company because there's so many strings attached to that, depending on the situation, legality of it, and or um, persons involved. Mm -hmm. So, again, all opinions are my own. Do your research first. Set yourself up for success. Other people have done it more than likely what you're trying to do. So look at what they've done and look at the successes and the failures and compare those to see where you can do it better. You have people mm -hmm. like me that worked in the industry for years as a consultant. And that's what we talked about, right? That's what we got mm -hmm. paid to do. Exactly. And to go back to your earlier point, mentorship, like go and find somebody that has done it before, knows what they're doing or can give you some guidance and listen to what they have to say. <laughs> Take notes um, if you have to. Write it down. Record it. Exactly. Replay it. <laughs> um, I want to dial in for a second to speak about DE, DEI and B mm -hmm. as it pertains to women in particular. So the needs of communities are different. I think that's one thing that kind of irks me is that, you know, when you're going after um marginalized or minority groups in this industry, every community has its own unique set of challenges, you know, things that you need to consider to be cautious of, to be, well, not cautious, cognizant of rather, you know, so that you're not just blanketing everybody in the same group. You know, I think that um, BIPOC encompasses a lot of people, but you still get this kind of blanket treatment across everybody. It's like, oh, it's just those guys that aren't really in the industry, we're going to do the same stuff and it doesn't really work. So long preamble to a question, the needs of every community are different. So what special considerations need to be made for creating an inclusive atmosphere for women in particular? Are our needs very different? Is there something that should be kept in mind? I'd love your insight on that. So building an inclusive environment for women to thrive is a couple of, of couple of parts, right? It's almost like a recipe, like we talked about cooking. You mm -hmm. want to make sure you're establishing not only a seat at the table, but a voice at the table. That means roles of leadership. And then also be able to have different forms of what that representation looks like within that community that you call leadership. 
to have perspective on what those type of people need, whoever that might be within that BIPOC community. And then also bringing in your thought leaders and your people that are experts in whatever category that you're trying to uh, enhance or make better, which I'm going to say enhance and make better one more time because we don't want to go backwards in this society. Um, we don't want anyone to feel like they're the only one in your industry or be tokenized at your place of employment. So you keep going to that one person every single time. And let me tell you, there's a lot of fatigue, anxiety, and depression that goes on surrounding those types of situations. And also mm -hmm. allow these people to be the, their true selves at your place of employment. And that means if they want to wear their hair natural, let them wear their hair natural. If they want to dress in appropriate garments for their culture that is professional, don't get me wrong, depending on the setting, then allow them to express that. And then also make sure that you're respecting their boundaries from wherever that cultural heritage comes from, not just based on a religious preference, because for some of us being in the BIPOC, BIPOC community, excuse me, it is about our culture that makes us the whole individual that you hired. Mm, that is so true. Oh my gosh, I love that. That's that's a quotable. There's been a lot of quotes <laughs> in this. So I'm going to have a hard time going through and pulling some, but that's wonderful. I love that so much. So with being in talent acquisition, like... You talk about being like the the face of what, like you're the first person in most instances that is, you know, is talking about the company or what it's like, you know, and, and talking to people and kind of ushering through, uh, ushering them through this process. So with that in mind, what are some of the DEI and D, is it DEI and B or is it DENI and B or is it DEIB? It Does could it be matter? whichever way you would like to say it. I do the latter, D-E-I-B. Um, okay. You can put an and if you like. We're including them sure all. I was saying it right. how inclusive we all are. All the things. <laughs> so what are some of the D-E-I-B hiring best practices that you use, you know, knowing that you're, you're, off, you're on one hand, you know, you're representing the needs of the company, you know, you yourself are an industry advocate for DEIB, and then you're also um, talking to this potential candidate from a place of authenticity and truth. That's a lot to juggle. So what are some tips and best practices that you use um, to, to usher people through that entire process while remaining true to yourself? So for me, it's always been again, being true to myself and make sure that the company that I am employed with and working for has a program versed in DEIB um, that is something that is current, congruent, and iterative because there's companies that have a program, but it hasn't changed. It hasn't evolved over time and they're not progressing with the industry and or the cultures. I mean, my gosh, we're in 2022, right? <laughs> I thought we'd have flying cars, some other things, but that's a whole nother show. <laughs> but, uh, 2022 and processes need to change, right? Um, so auditing a job post, making sure you have the language in there that is diverse, um, using a gender decoder, removing any bias language um, is key. Um, before you put something out in the in the internet, on, you know, and it can be copied. Uh, 
downloaded, shared everywhere. You want to make sure that you have the language correct for your process and your DEI commitment as a company or as a person. If you're an individual contributor and you have a business, um, reflect those things and be transparent about it. Make sure that that matches your website or wherever you're posting it um, to be honest. Then make sure you're targeting and the target sourcing that you're using to find those candidates is from a diverse category of places. Um, you don't want to just, let's say, for example, primarily, primarily source on LinkedIn, right? Um, you don't want to primarily source from Monster or someplace like that. You want to make sure that you are utilizing your knowledge and talent to be able to find diverse pipelines. So when I say diverse pipelines, that is places that BIPOC people sit and talk or congregate together to grow each other's talent within the industry that you're searching. Um, one of the best places to be because that's where you are allowed to interject yourself and have those conversations with them. And it's not such a forced environment of you're trying to find somebody to fill this role. Um, also ensuring that all of the employees that you and or people that are interviewing, you make them feel comfortable in the interview process. Um, so that they can show you the best of them through that process. I can't tell you how many times I've sat through an interview and the person is so nervous and so stiff and so monotone that it's very hard to be able to get a read on whether this person would be a great, not only culture ad, but an ad to a team where they have to talk to other people, engage with other people, um, but their resume look great. Everyone looks great on mm. paper, but it's about the story that you tell as a person. They got you from where you started in your career to where you are now and brought you here to me today to talk about where you want to be in the future. So those things all have to congregate together. And then also, lastly, I will say provide D, E, and I, and B, whichever way you want to say mm. it, training. <laughs> specifically for those people who are involved in the interview process to allow mm -hmm. them to understand what that means and what that means for your company over time as you change and grow. And then also giving them tools to understand, you know, bystander training and different things to be able to reflect the business and, and make sure they're part of diverse people are part of that interview process. If you can, if you can swing it right. Um, again, mm -hmm. you can't force someone to be part of any of the process, but if you have equal representation, meaning uh, BIPOC community, male, female, however they want to identify in the group interview process, that's only going to benefit you as a company. Nope. Oh, that's exactly right. Training is so important. And like you said, this is an ongoing effort. Like there's no, uh, we did it. We're done. It, it should all, <laughs> you know, it's right. We're good. We, we've done everything we need to do. No, it, it should. I feel like if it's not stretching you to the point of just being a little bit uncomfortable, then you're not doing it right. You know, because having to like learn something that you may not be naturally, you know, exposed to or have any idea of, um, dealing with incredibly difficult conversations that, you know, sometimes you kind of feel might feel a little gross, you know, coming out of it because you don't realize like the own, like, uh, the, the blinders that you might've had on for your entire life around certain situations. I know that's happened to me. Like 
I was in a meeting and um, somebody politely pointed out, it's like, Kat, you say you guys a lot and that really doesn't, you know, can, can we use other something else? Like, Hey friends, or Hey y'all, or something like that, you know, just because I, I am not a guy and I just, you know, and it was just, you know what, you're right. You know, that, that language was so normalized that I didn't even consider for a second. And there's been a lot of moments like that, even as a double minority in the industry, <laughs> you know, there's still so much that I need to learn, you know, so um, yeah, no, that training is definitely an important thing. Uh, and I can process. agree. There is D and I, D, E and I and B, um, when you take <laughs> the letters apart, it was built centered around being able to have a safe space to have these types of conversations. And when I say these right. types, I mean, uncomfortable types of conversations mm-hmm. um, and having that workplace or wherever you're going to have those conversations, you have to feel psychologically safe to say the things that you need to say to get to the heart of the matter. Um, so you're right. You hit it right on the money when you say uncomfortable, because a lot of the time it is uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Broaching a subject, not only that, but correcting a situation, whether someone was aware of it or not, meaning they mm-hmm. were biased unknowingly, you have to say, right away, it really upset me or it made me feel a certain kind of way when you said X, X, and X. And then if they don't get it, you have to explain it Mm -hmm. until they do get it, however many times or iterations that takes for them to understand that this is offensive, Mm -hmm. maybe not only to me, but to other people, and then allow them the time to process that and ask the questions they need to ask. So that does take right. uncomfortability as well as patience because you can't be yelling back and forth at each other because you're screaming into the wind and you can't hear each other. Exactly, exactly. So to bring this, to dive just a little bit further, I love doing this, it's like Russian dolls where it's like pop, pop, pop. Um, how can esports, everything that you just said is gold in terms from the recruiting standpoint. I would love to know how esports orgs and teams can use this framework for their communities and the teams that they work with. So building an environment for everybody, and that means mm. everybody can play, everybody can thrive, um, everybody can learn. Uh, and I love mm-hmm. in my mind, I keep going back to E for everyone because it was, you know, it's a thing. Everyone <laughs> gets that, right? Um, and then there's no I in team. When you put a team together and we talk about esports, it is a team dynamic. You have to function as a team to be able to do the sport. I mean, <laughs> that sounded so funny in my head. Um, so not having a single contributor, but everyone and making everyone feel like they are able to belong um, mm-hmm. and understanding where you have the weaknesses um, and maybe biases allowing everyone to take that into consideration and add input is awesome uh, and not tolerating any of the isms so sexism ableism transphobia or bigotry of any kind in your organization is a must um, if you want to be in this industry because as we know there was a huge turning of the tide over the last couple of years um, into, into the pandemic coming out of the pandemic even um, I can go back as to Gamergate, which is an example. If you don't know what that is, look it up on YouTube and uh, Google as well. But being able to understand that at this point in time in our culture, in our community, and our industry, it's not going to be tolerated. People are going to speak up. 
someone's going to find out. And then mm. it only takes that one thing. We know what cancel culture looks like. It takes that one thing to take all your hard work away. And you could have prevented it by putting these, what I like to call future-proof ideas or concepts into work when you're establishing something like an esports team. That mm -hmm. way you also are opening up the doors for a team that's inclusive enough to have women, trans representation or whoever on your team from a perspective of a private team owner um, and some of the collegiate teams, you know, there, there mm -hmm. are co-ed groups. I think there is so much great momentum that we've made over the course of the last two, three years in esports. We have companies that are huge sponsoring, promoting and owning teams, BMW, Coke, Craft, you know, We've got investors from all over the place. Um, Snoop Dogg is one of the most famous people who is involved in esports with FaZe Clan. Um, he's not only hung out with the, with the team, invested in the team, helps them with their workouts, you know, because it is a sport. Let me tell you, those, those hand injuries are real. And then also make sure that they're all taken care of mentally and physically, just like a professional team, which is amazing. Um, you got people like Post Malone, who is a co-owner of Team Envy. Um, Drake streams Fortnite on Twitch himself because he loves the game. And I'm sure he owns something. Not sure exactly what. Um, but you're rebranding teams based on celebrities now. And it's not just a thing that kids do or someone did in their mom's basement. And to, for, to take all that and wrap it all up, it takes a huge amount of something and a large amount of diversity to make all of this work to create profitability. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a great point about, you know, teams joining forces with other people in meaningful ways. I know uh, we at the Knights, we work very closely with Wiz Khalifa and there's a whole bunch of stuff that we do together. Um, and it's all about, you know, drawing people in from different corners, you know, because everybody has the people that they look up to and none of them all look the same, you know, so that, no, I love that. Thank you so much for providing that insight. Gosh, I, I feel like we need a part two to this because DEI &D <laughs> is just such a meaty topic and it's so important, you know, but I, I, I would love to know, given your years of experience everything that you've seen, um, the work that you've done, um, the work that others have done, what is your greatest hope for the future of DEIMB in the gaming industry? I think that my greatest hope, I mean, I, I will say not only as an industry, but as a world that um, mm. we live in today when everything is so chaotic and there's so many tragedies um, and preventable tragedies at that. And being able to just feel like you matter, you belong, and to be treating other ones the way, other people the way you want to be treated um, goes a long way, whether you're in this industry or not. Um, just grace and latitude for each other as human beings. And if, any, if the pandemic has taught us anything, it should be that. We all went through mm -hmm. the same thing in a, a way. Right. And not everyone came out the other end the same. Pretty much yeah. everyone has changed after this mm -hmm. event. Um, so just taking those little bits um, and making them a foundation. I mean, you say the letters again, diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging. 
That's, uh, it speaks for itself. I think if I were to talk to my younger self as a child um, mm-hmm. and know what I know now, mm-hmm. I would say to her, you know, be you, your 100% self, just you unabashedly, even though that's hard as a young girl, right? Because we have lots of hangups on ourselves. <laughs> yeah. And attempt everything. Try it once. And you're awesome. You matter and you belong. I love that. Yeah, I that I wish you were around to tell your younger self that and my younger self too. Because <laughs> it's definitely something that I still have to like, cat, come on, it's okay. You you, you got it. Anytime you, know, you that, need it, you let me know. We'll we'll think of a code word and you just text it. Boom. I got you. I'm your hype girl right back. Listen, right back at you. Like, let's take this on the road. It's like, hey, you need a pep talk? You need a kind word? You need to know that you're awesome? We got you, fam. <laughs> no, that's you like that's Oprah just yelling out. oh man no but um carmen thank you so much for your time today and all of the wisdom that you shared with us and your experiences and your candor is so appreciated um i would love to know for those that want to take this further um what platforms or resources could you recommend as good places to go for you know more information a safe community something like that I think one of the organizations that was critical for me in a time that I needed it, um, International Gaming Development Association. It's a wonderful mm. place to start if you're looking for resources. They have various groups um, as well as SIGs, um, which are organized groups to support the larger whole of a group. So I was part of the educational SIG um, in regards to STEM and education, working in our industry to further that and the educational games within the industry. Uh, I also would remember TakeThis.org, which is a mental health organization, um, and they are a nonprofit as well. So if you can support in any way, please do that. Focused on decreasing the stigma around mental health and gaming and beyond. Um, If you're familiar with an AFK room, they established that Mm. uh, early on uh, to be able to give you a space to just, you know, uh, take a little time to yourself when you're in a huge environment like a convention and then just take it down a notch and regroup to go back out and do what you want to do and find what you want to love. Those are two great organizations to this day, I feel, that are of value to anyone um, in the industry working or not. Oh, no, absolutely. Both are solid. And if uh, in season two, we actually talked to Dr. Sarah Hayes from Take This about mental health and gaming. And that's the first time I heard of an AFK room. Like, gosh, darn it. I wish that was around (laughs) when I was on the event circuit because I definitely could have used one. (laughs) But no, those are great resources. Thank you so much, Carmen. And wow, like this hour has flown by um, and you've shared so many great insights. Um, For those that are listening, I know that you walked away with more than a few action items that you can take back either to implement at your own organization or to share with your colleagues or the people who are in positions to do something to increase DEI and B, DEIB. D-E-I-B, all of it, yeah, you know, you at it. your respective places. <laughs> I don't know what it is with acronyms today. put a beat today, behind actually. it and you're good, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> I was the person that had to use all the songs to memorize, like, the times tables and all that stuff. So No shame. No shame. <laughs> 
But um, for those that want to, you know, keep up with you and what you're doing, um, what's the best way to follow along with, you know, what, who you are and the think the knowledge and wisdom that you bring to the industry, but also, you know, possible open positions at the shell games. What's the best way to get in touch with you? So the best way is uh, my LinkedIn um, is one of the best ways. And you just use my first and last name. Look up my profile. Um, I'm sure it'll be in the show notes because uh, we are a top notch team here on this production, as well as my Twitter, which is my last name and my first name um, to be able to not only find out what I'm talking about or what conversations are going on around DE&IB, but also if you're looking to get into the industry or if you're already in the industry and looking to make a switch and you want to work at a company like Shell Games, first do your homework, go to the website, research what we're all about, take a look and see if they would be right for you. And then if we still interest you, go to that careers page, check out the jobs, find one you like and apply and let me know. If you have questions about the rule, you can also reach out to me on my LinkedIn or my Twitter and just ask some general questions to be able to inquire if that rule is right for you. I will say there's a disclaimer. We will not be doing any resume reviews, portfolio reviews, or anything like that that would take a long time because as you know, as a recruiter, time is of the essence for me to be able to give it to you in the setting that is most valuable and effective for you to get that role and it's not on LinkedIn and it's not on Twitter. Nope. That's, that's good. Yep. The, thank you so much again for joining us tonight, uh, for sharing your insights and your wisdom. I know I got a lot out of this conversation. Like I've known what you've been about for a little bit, but this has just really blown the lid off of like how much one person can do. Right. If you have the desire, the passion, and the focus to, to really be serious about DEI and B in this industry, it's not so big that your actions don't mean anything. Like it takes everybody working together, but it's not going to go anywhere unless you start. You know, so take a look at where you are, take a look at where you want to be. Um, as an organization, if your DEIMB efforts aren't to par, if you've come under fire, or if it's something that you know you want to do better, um, do that. You know, and and it's okay. It's okay if you get it wrong. It's okay if you mess up. You know, just be transparent, like Carmen said. And I mean, like she said ahead of time, you that applies to a lot more than just this. But for the sake of this conversation. And, you know, and then as an individual, I think the thing that I got out of this conversation was you can be one person, but you can still touch so many. And Carmen, thank you so much, because I know that you've touched me in the time that I've known you. So um, thank you for, again, for being here, for being such a wonderful person advocating for people that don't really know how to speak up for themselves sometimes in this industry and for sharing your insights. And before I continue rambling like an idiot and start crying because it doesn't take anything for me to start crying nowadays, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna close out this show. Guys, gals, everybody, thank you so much for tuning in, for being a supporter of the Knights and the uh, Women in Esports podcast presented by PNC. Um, it is my hope that you get something out of each and every conversation that we have here. 
And if you're not, please let us know because we do want to go and talk about the topics that are most important to you. So again, hit us up on Twitter, comments, whatever. Um, Carrier pigeons, send them to Maryland. I'll I'll get them (laughs) Uh, because we want this to be valuable. And Carmen, thank you so much again for joining us. Thank you, Kat. It was a pleasure joining you. And I hope it's not uh, just a one-off thing. We might have some more conversations. They're so fluid, you and I. We could talk all day. (laughs) I will leave the listeners with this one last thought. Be the change you want to see in the world. That's all it takes is just do that. One day at a time, and you cannot go wrong. I love it. That is fantastic. I'm that I'm sure it's probably somewhere on a t-shirt or a t-shirt. I'm going to write it. Yep. I'm going to write it down and whoever said it, I'm going to say it. Carmen said this because it needs more coming from me. I don't want any, (laughs) any lawsuits coming my way. No, thanks. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. (laughs) Well, for everybody that tuned in, thank you again for hanging out with us. Um, We have an awesome episode six lined up. Gosh, the season is just flying by. I can't believe that we're almost at the end of 2022. Um, But thanks always for uh, spending some time with us. Um, Keep an eye out on social media for news around the next episode and, you know, stay kind, be safe, be well out there, and we'll see you next time.